Greetings and welcome to Outlaw Gamer Radio, the official podcast of OutlawGamers.com. This is the show where we live to play and play to live. I'm Brent Adams, joined by a man who isn't sure if you mean VR porn or VR porn, but either way, he is excited about it. Mr. Lauren Baumgarten. Lauren! What's up, Brent Adams? Hey, buddy. How's it going? Good. It's good to be back. I, I, uh, I missed you. I missed you. I missed, I missed all of you. Oh, yeah. I missed you, too. <laughs> I was gone for two weeks, Brent. You did a show with uh, oh, you were? a couple other oh, people. Oh, that, yeah, right. I remember now, and you weren't here, and it was great. Whoa. Felt a little mm. too comfortable, I think. Uh, no, nah, man. Welcome back. It's great to have you. We had some fun while you were gone. Uh, yes. Tony and Daniel, and then Tony and myself. Uh, rocking the mic in your absence, but uh, glad you're back stateside, glad you're back on the show, and man, I tell you what, you came back at just the right time! Oh my god, did I come back at the right time. Well, I guess uh, I guess we'll just go ahead and uh, not bury the lead here. It's E3. It, it, yeah, don't, don't, don't bury the lead, Brent. It's motherfucking E3. That's right. And that is as right. such, we've got a lot to talk about. Let me briefly give you a rundown of what we have in mind as far as our E3 coverage goes this week. On today's show, which hopefully you're getting actually a little bit earlier than you normally would, uh, on today's show, we are just going to be talking about some pre-E3 stuff, like basically the things that happened leading up to Sunday. We'll, uh, we'll talk about some news stories. We'll talk about Oculus. We'll talk about Bethesda. And then later this week, uh, should be late Wednesday, maybe early Thursday, depending on how quickly uh, we get it edited and uploaded. Yep. That's going to be our big E3 blowout. We're going to talk about everything that happened the actual week of E3, the Microsoft, the Sony press conferences, EA, Ubisoft, of course, the PC gaming press conference, all that stuff. Screenings. We'll have in the second show that's coming out a couple days from now. So stay tuned for that. But for right now, we've got plenty to talk about because, man, people were not waiting for E3. They were jumping the gun in the literal figurative sense of that term. And the first thing that I think we'll talk about is YouTube gaming is getting ready to take on Twitch. Uh there is. There was actually a very funny tweet from Twitch in response to this. Yeah, and, there uh, was. That was <laughs> welcome, player two. Thought that was uh, awesome. Uh, yeah. But anyway, YouTube is uh, is gearing up. They've got a uh, they got a new program. They're going to start. They're going to start doing live streaming, and uh, they're going to. Of course, this is going to be like a portal centric to gaming. And I don't know. It's pretty interesting. I'm I'm very interested to see. How this goes over, I mean, obviously, YouTube and gamers have had kind of a rocky relationship recently, but uh, YouTube still has a, a lot of eyeballs on it, and that can mean ad revenue for people and that sort of thing. They've announced, uh, they've announced some details of this, which... Actually, I'm just going to tell you to go look at the article uh, because we got so much to talk about in this show. It's probably not worth going into. But the point is that YouTube is going to have dedicated pages for more than 25,000 games that you can go and and watch streaming. Uh, Lauren, what do you uh, what do you think about this? Do you think that YouTube's going to lure people away from Twitch? Do you think that uh, 
Do you think that YouTube fears Twitch? Do you, do you think that they'd be doing this if they weren't worried that maybe Twitch knew something they didn't? What's going on here? No, I mean, certainly I, I, they, they should fear Twitch if they don't, uh, which is uh, you know, a powerhouse in this arena. But I will say that I think my personal take on this is that I think it's going to end up being um, who's got the better product. I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of Twitch, to be honest with you. I don't. I don't love Twitch. I don't. I, the, their streaming uh, quality has has not been to the level that that I really would like to see, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm happy to see someone else entering the arena. Now I have no stake in YouTube winning the war. I'm just glad that somebody that big will be there to compete with Amazon. Essentially, uh, you know, Google at one point tried to buy Twitch and couldn't, obviously, and. Yeah. Um, so Which I'm, 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 I'm happy, happy about this. personally. I, I'm I'd rather I'd rather there be, you know, two two large enough entities that have you know sort of the wherewithal to to compete with each other and try to make you know each service the best that it can be for the sake of gamers and you know the people who uh, are going to use them. So that's exactly right, and I don't think, I think Twitch has good. had that competition uh, significantly in the past, and I think YouTube will be that competition. So I'm eager to see uh, who comes out on top because I think it's only going to be better for us all in the long run. Something that uh, we're getting some some rumor reports about and something that we may very likely see confirmed at E3 this week is, surprisingly enough, and I'm really not kidding, The Last Guardian. There's a rumor that Mark Cerny, architect of the PS4, has been brought in to lead and finish the development of The Last Guardian. Uh, again, no confirmation on this yet, but it's it's certainly it's certainly an interesting rumor. Lauren, what do you think about this? Do you think that do you think that that that, that this is is this more about like he's the right guy to lead the development team, or is it more sort of a PR move where they need to have they need to have somebody who everybody agrees knows what they're doing in there to to help them get this game done? What what do you what is your take on this? Honestly, Brent, I I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> do you care about the Last Guardian? Uh, I I I kind of don't. I don't like it's it's been long enough that yeah. Uh, I don't. I mean, I, I I may be telling a different tale on Wednesday when we record again after we've seen a trailer. But at this point, I, I read this and I literally was like, I I just don't. I don't. I don't care anymore. I don't. I'm sick of hearing about the Last Guardian, and and I don't. I don't understand Mark Cherney. I don't even. I don't even understand this. Like I don't get. I don't know exactly what his role was, but the fact that he was a hardware architect doesn't mean anything to me. That he's heading up the development of this video game. Like that doesn't. That doesn't seem like things that go together to me. I agree with you. It, to, to me, it seemed odd at first uh, until I kind of looked at it from the standpoint of perhaps all of the kind of. Perhaps the, the the majority of the creative decisions on the game have been made at this point, and everything well, else like is basically a technical execution of those of those ideas. And yeah, but in the that technical case, execution of software development and hardware development are two. Well, I mean, he is a game developer. I mean, you know, that's that's how he started in the industry. It's not like it's an unfamiliar. Uh, process to him but it's just that where is the game in his catalog that says oh yeah he's a great fit for this and that's the thing it to me it seems more like something the marketing department came up with yeah i just don't understand it i mean maybe if it's true if it's true certainly from a project management standpoint he would have the experience to do project management but i don't Mm -hmm. know it just just seems weird and it seems weird it's just a it seems to be another 
piece of weirdness in a, in a game with a weird story. And so really I just don't give a shit until yeah. I see something else that's compelling and has a fucking release date. We should make a documentary about this game. You, know? you, Cause you I, probably could. Because well, that's all the rage these days. You know, the death of Superman lives, George Miller's Justice League. Everybody's doing documentaries about things that never fucking happened, like The Last Guardian. Maybe. Yeah, we, could, we could well we, we do could, that. We could be proved wrong in the next 24 hours. We'll yep. see. All right. Uh, let's talk about Nintendo just a little bit. Uh, because Nintendo, I think kicked some major ass on Sunday with the Nintendo World Championship 2015. The winner of that, John Numbers, competed with 15 other very serious, very competent gamers to claim that title. This event is the, it's actually the 25th anniversary of the first event, which took place in 1990. And I got to tell you, Lauren, that I thought... I wasn't sure what to expect going into this. I figured I would just watch highlights. I ended up watching the whole damn thing. And I think that it was a brilliant move on Nintendo's part. Number one, it was really fun. It was enjoyable to watch. It was There was just a lot of cool things about seeing this video game competition with all of this variety of games, you know, as opposed to a competition like the one they had last year that was just like Super Smash Brothers. This year, they were playing a lot of different kinds of games. And in some cases, they were playing games that no one had ever played before because this was the first time we were seeing them, like in the case of Blast Ball. So that was pretty cool. And then they finished with, uh, they finished by playing Super Mario Maker, which is due out later this year. Um, but like, honestly, it really, really struck me as a great move by Nintendo. It was an exciting thing. It, it really communicated what was exciting about Nintendo games, what's different about Nintendo games, the fact that, you know, they are really game mechanic and skill based. And there was a cool mix of modern games and old school games. Uh, I, I was really blown away. I thought Nintendo really, really knocked this out of the park. I think you've been spending too much time with Tony Grice. Uh, that's, that's ironic, considering the fact that I haven't seen Tony in, uh, oh, well, about seven days. Yeah, you could be right. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. No, uh, I think this is a cool thing, Brent. I, I, I have to say, and, I, and I, I, I don't mean to be like a Debbie Downer, or, or I really don't. Um, I, I, I still just continue to, to just not be drawn in or understand the appeal. I, I, I really, really, I, I'm just not. Like, I looked at Blast Ball, and I thought, eh. And I looked at Super Mario Maker, and I thought, eh. You know, I, I mean, I, I just, it's just not for me. And I, I didn't watch the competition. Um, but I can understand certainly why fans of Nintendo uh, would find this to be very, very cool. And I, and I think it's very cool uh, that you did as well. I think that I, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. Um, I just not it's just not up my alley. All right. Well, enough said on that. Then let's go ahead and move on. Uh, let's just go right into the clubhouse. Screw the music this week, because who's got time for it? Um, we will go ahead and pause for just a brief second here to review the poll results from last week's topic discussion, which was about Steam's new refund policy. Tony and I had a big talk about that. And Lauren, would you go ahead and share the poll results? I would be more than happy to, my friend. So the question was, what do you think about Steam's new refund policy? You gave the listeners three choices to choose from. And coming in in last place with 8% of the vote, it was, it, the, the answer was, it will harm the Steam ecosystem by being too unfavorable to developers. Coming in in second place with 23% of the vote, it was, it will be abused so badly I don't see it being around for long. And coming in with an overwhelming 69% of the vote, 
in first place, it will give gamers some much-needed leverage against industry shenanigans. And I have to say, Brent, I wasn't present for that conversation, but I do tend to agree with the winner of this week's poll. I think ultimately uh, it's going to give gamers, you know, some recourse that we haven't had historically. And I hope uh, my hope is that it sets a a precedent for digital games because certainly we're moving towards digital downloads in the future. Uh, We have been steadily moving that way for many years, and uh, I think it's important, especially on one of the uh, if not the premier digital distribution platform that's out there right now. Uh, yeah, you're echoing a lot of the points that I made. I, I agree with you 100%. So let's go ahead and move on. Uh, what Something that is hoping to become perhaps the premier digital distribution platform is Oculus Rift. That is a thin segue. I'm going to go ahead and admit it to you now. But it's actually not entirely inaccurate in the sense that one of the things that Oculus showed off at their pre-E3 2015 press event was a store called Oculus Share. And this is going to tie into how they see distributing uh, VR games, but, but we'll get to that. The first thing is that Oculus had a motherfucking press event. They showed off the consumer version of the Rift. They did not announce a price point. They showed off some games. They talked to some developers. We found out we're going to get an Xbox One controller with the Rift. And I think the main reason for that is that the Oculus controller, the Oculus Touch, is not going to be available when the Rift comes out first quarter next year. But Palmer Lucky did give us a preview of the Oculus Rift Touch controller, which is actually two small controllers that you hold in your hand. They've both got some triggers. They've both got some buttons. They've both got thumbsticks. And then there's some tracking stuff going on with that as well. It's supposed to be really impressive. I mean, you know, everybody, everybody uh, that works for Oculus says it's very impressive. Hopefully, we'll, we'll see maybe some hands-on stuff soon. We can find out from some third-party sources. But the point is that Oculus announced a controller in addition to their headset. And a whole bunch of other cool stuff. Lauren, what do you think? I, I think there was some exciting information in there. I, I was a little bit let down that there was no price announcement, uh, which I agree. is a little bit worrisome to me, honestly, especially knowing that essentially you need a, something close to a 970 to run it compellingly. Mm. Um, uh, I was very disappointed when they announced the Xbox One would be shipping, the Xbox One controller, because I thought... You know, all of the, I, I thought all the, all the research and development into control schemes and, and the best you come up with was an already existing one and not even the best version of it. I mean, I, I haven't played with the Xbox One controller, but from what I understand, a lot of I people have. prefer the 360 controller to the Xbox One controller. Well, maybe it's this new controller that, you know, that, uh, like, I, I think that they've announced it uh, today, actually, the X, like the Elite Control. Well, though, they announced the Elite know. controller, but they certainly did. Oculus is not. They certainly said didn't show the Elite controller at the Oculus event, did right? They? And so, but yeah. then, but then at the end of the press conference, they come out with the Touch, and, and and I'm concerned about that. The Touch looks fantastically interesting, and I think is very compelling with sensors along the inside of the ring of the Touch that uh, that read movement, um, uh, and I, and it, uh, it's a much more natural feel as you move the split controller around and grab things. I think it's. Super compelling. I'm very concerned about having a divided uh, controller schema amongst players. So how does that play out as designers are designing, knowing that everybody has an Xbox One controller, but only 40% of the audience has a touch controller? How much content is going to be designed for touch, the Oculus Touch controls? Yet it is what Oculus has spent years doing research on, and they consider to be the best VR control system. And so... Uh, as much as I don't, wouldn't want the Oculus delayed, something like not having the input system complete and then splitting your audience feels to me like a compelling enough reason to delay it. Um, 
if they really thought they were going to have the touch, think they're going to have the touch ready in the second quarter of 2016, I would think it's worth a three-month delay not to split your audience. So I don't really, I'm nervous and curious about how that's going to play out. Right. Um, but other than that, it looks fantastic. I mean, it looks, I, I will buy it. There's no, almost no question I will buy it no. unless it's, uh, you know, if it was over 400, I think I probably would really consider, you know, start considering like maybe I should wait for Morpheus. Maybe I should wait for the reviews. But if it's 400 or less, um, I'll pre-order it because I've, I've, I've had the DK1. I know the experience that's there. And I can only imagine with the increased resolution, the six degrees of freedom and the spatial audio, none of which the DK1 has, and the additional two years of developer time, um, I, I can only imagine. I, I know it's worth the money because I know I've experienced it. Um, a, cu- a couple of the things that they addressed that that I, I know I was interested to find out about is that they've made the headset much more friendly to people who wear glasses. And also I was interested to see the dial on the bottom that lets you adjust for the interocular is it interocular distance or interlo- yes. interocular yes. pupil distance? Yes, that's correct. Uh, so the the fact that uh, the fact that you can now uh, get that adjusted uh, without having to you know break the unit down and do anything really complex with it is is pretty encouraging. They talked about it being lightweight. Talked about the sound system being very very good, but it's uh, it's not so good that they're that they're not convinced that some people aren't going to want to use their own headset. So they've. Uh, made that so it's it can be uh, that, wait, taken wait, wait, off. Hold, hold on, hold on. To be clear, they did not say our sound system is not so good that they just said we understand some people want to use their own stuff, so these are removable. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if they had confidence, if they had confidence that, that the system that they have is truly the best for VR, I don't think that they would have. I don't think they would have had that option. I could be no, wrong. I don't, I don't but, think that's true because there's always going to be people who want to. I mean, there's there's people who are going to want to spend six hundred, seven hundred dollars on headphones, and so making them removable is a thoughtful thing to do. That doesn't mean what they have there is not compelling. Well, time will tell. But in yeah. any case, uh, I think that I think those things were certainly uh, those things were certainly you know good details to get. I would have definitely liked to have gotten the price point as you were saying. Let's talk about some of the games that they showed off though. Uh, they showed off a gameplay demo for Eve Valkyrie, which I got to tell you really really struck a chord with me. It took me back to playing Wing Commander and. Uh, some of those those great great space sim games back in the day, and the thought of playing that style game with the Rift, like really kind of you know seeing that in front of you and thinking about what that experience would be like to you know to have that that truly immersive 360 experience, that really really got my interest, and uh, I I thought that was a that was a pretty cool way to start things off. Anything for you there? Yeah, it, it it was super compelling. I thought it looked fantastic, and I can—I oh, yeah. mean, I've, I've seen snippets of this game throughout its development cycle, but it's just, it just—it continues to look incredible. And, and I—I—it—it—it I, it, it has to be one of the first games. I mean, I, I assume—I can only assume right now it's going to be a release title, and certainly would be one of the first games I get. It looks—it looks phenomenal, and I cannot wait to actually see it. Yep, another game that I thought really looked interesting, but did not. It was seemed like an unconventional choice in terms of it being a VR game was Edge of Nowhere, which to me looks very much like somebody read H.P. Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness and thought this would make a great video game. And I totally agree with them. I, th- I think it's, it's a fantastic idea for a game. But uh, it, it, to me, it looks like the gameplay is taking place in third person. And so I am. Yes, which I thought was interesting. 
it's a bold choice, Cotton. We'll see how it works out for them. But yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see some people who play this talk about what it's like to play a third person game in VR and how that how that experience works. Because obviously, I you know the obvious the more obvious choice would be to do first person. But hey, it could work. I don't know. Yeah, I think this game also looks fantastic. Visually, I really, really, really dig the art style. I was curious, like you, about the choice of third person, but but this is the point, right? We want to see how these different things work. Well, yeah. how does third person work? And I, I'm excited to see in this mix, uh, in these games that we're talking about today, a mix of first person, third person, flying. I, I think that's great, and I think uh, it'll be interesting to walk. Artistically, I thought it looked really, really interesting. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of, of what they're doing here. They seem to really, really be influenced by by that HP Lovecraft story, and I I'm very, very anxious to see where that goes because uh, I I think there's a lot of possibility there. Chronos, we didn't really see a lot from Chronos, but I was very intrigued by what we did see. It it certainly caught my attention, and it's something that I want to keep an eye on uh, as as more and more details come out about that. Yeah, it had an interesting, like, did you catch it? It had, like, an interesting journey vibe to me. Yes, I agree with you. Which, yeah. which is a vibe that I like. And I thought, again, interesting artistically. I'm curious to see um, uh, what kind, you know, we, we recently heard, you know, we, we recently heard, as I alluded to earlier, the specs of what your machine's going to need to run the Oculus Rift. Um, we're probably going to talk about a new um, VR headset that was announced by, Sony, by Starbreeze Studios. Yep, just Star just, VR. The Star VR, which has Today. some uh, crazy specs to it, we'll probably talk about that on the, maybe on the next show or maybe next week. Um, but uh, so we know what it's going to take to run. I'm curious to know if, if some of these artistic decisions that are being made uh, are, are less photorealistic, more sort of artistic looking, are being made because of the specs, or if they're just simply artistic decisions. But this yeah. game also looks super interesting, very interesting art style, kind of got a journey feel to it. Interested to see where it goes. I got to say that just just to kind of wrap up the VR segment, as it were, as opposed to what you were saying, where you're definitely going to get an Oculus Rift, I have to say that I am I am now really kind of interested to sit back a little bit and see how the field how it plays out because between Oculus, between Steam VR, between this new Star VR that we we found out about today, and then obviously the Morpheus. Um, I'm very, very curious to to just see how things shake up a little bit and to see if there are any advantages to, to one of those clearly over another. I mean, you know, f- as far as cost of entry goes, the Morpheus will probably be the cheapest, although I, the upgrades I've done to my system lately, I maybe could step into the Oculus without too much trouble, but I'm really kind of curious to see how all of those things end up shaking out by the time some of these finally start getting in consumers' hands. I have to say that... it. It's a tougher decision for me than I thought it was going to be at this point. I don't disagree with you, Brent. Um, I, I, I just think uh, the reason I'm probably going to get on board uh, quickly with Oculus is I look at, for example, the Star VR. Yeah. I look at Steam. Uh, Oculus has been doing this longer than anybody, and they have yeah. Yeah. a very, very impressive team and significant funding behind them. And I just feel like I look at the Star VR, and they talk about how like incredible the specs are and what the resolution is, and immediately my first thought is like, this is there's no machine that's going to run this compellingly for five to seven years. You know that's within a reasonable price range or whatever. Right. right. The Morpheus uh, uh, is going to be tied down to the PS4's um, specs, which at this point are not as good as my current computer setup. 
um, and, and they won't be changeable. And so that's not to say the Morpheus won't be a com- compelling experience. I think the Morpheus probably will be a very compelling experience um, and will probably be cheaper than the Oculus Rift, is my guess. But it will um, be equivalent. Like we talked about, it will be console VR as opposed to PC VR. It'll be the, it'll be the same rift between ha 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 it'll be the same rift between console and pc gaming that we have now that currently exists right and so i'd be hard pressed you know steam potentially maybe um but at this point i i i i don't think i struggle to see uh somebody that has you know with maybe with the exception of steam but somebody that has as compelling and as well researched and well funded a product with 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 a team uh as strong as what oculus does and not that there won't be anybody that is better than Oculus. I don't think there's going to be somebody better than Oculus in the first couple years of VR. Right. And my, my guess is, is that uh, I, will, I would probably buy a VR headset sort of now-ish, and then in two, three years, we'll be looking at a very different picture because technology will have, uh, have expanded so quickly that we'll be looking at VR headsets for 150 bucks that right. run on cheaper hardware. And so that's kind of my feeling right now. I obviously will wait... Till this shakes out a little bit, but that's kind of what, why I am where I'm at. Okay. Well, let's move on to let's move on to Bethesda, and I think that it's important to just take a second here to say that Bethesda won E3 last night. I'd like to wish everybody the best who's competing for second place, but fuck you, Bethesda won E3 for their first <laughs> E3 press event ever. I gotta say, and I watched this. I watched this from front to back in full. I got to say, I was blown out of the water by how well put together their presentation was. And, and I'm not even, I mean, I'm, I'm not even like a big fan of most of these franchises. And yet they managed to get me excited about things like Doom, like Fallout 4. We'll talk about all of it, but I was exceptionally impressed with Bethesda's press event. I, I really, and, and I, I mean, I know that Microsoft, you know, really, really impressed people today, but I'm telling you, I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody's going to impress me as much as Bethesda did, but perhaps they can't just because my expectations for those events are different than, uh, than they were for the Bethesda event. But anyway, I was very pleasantly surprised. Before you get into the specific games, I, yeah. I had a very different experience. I watched it in a very different way right. uh, than Brent did. So I, I, unlike Brent, I don't have all the time in the world to sit around watching gaming press conferences. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, did, I don't right now, unfortunately. I, but believe me, I would be if I could. Um, and so I, uh, I did not watch this from beginning to end. I have watched uh, probably you know maybe a total of 20, 25 minutes of it looking at the different parts, specifically of Doom, uh, Dishonored 2, Bethesda Net, uh, and all that stuff, and Fallout. Uh, but I watched it in sections. I watched the Doom section. I watched the... And so I had a very different experience. And like you, I'm, I'm not necessarily a huge fan of all of Bethesda's franchises. And so the cumulative effect did not um, impact me. I will say, however, watching the, the snippets that I did, it did seem very well put together, professional. I liked Todd Howard was a lot of fun to watch speak. Um, and so I, I had a little bit of a different experience, but let's just, let's jump into, uh, let's jump into, let's jump into the games. And, and you have on our doc, Brent, you have, you have doom is the first one to talk about. Well, that, that was the first thing that they, uh, that was the first thing that they showed off. And, Doom was uh, Doom was impressive, and I, I got to tell you that it's very difficult for me to not watch that video and feel an incredible sense of nostalgia going back to the first time I played Doom on my buddy Grayson's IBM PS2 computer back when we were in high school, and just being 
I mean, just like having our minds blown, like, like, you know, suddenly seeing a new color and being like, oh, my God, this is a video game. And, uh, and you know, having played Wolfenstein, but, you know, Doom was a different kind of thing. I mean, you know, Doom was, was a horror game. It was really bloody. I mean, it just it did all of these things that were really, really uh, different. And it was really difficult to not, you know, be transported right back to that moment watching this demo and, and kind of uh, and kind of just remembering you know, how much Doom meant to gaming at one point in history. But anyway, outside of that, the most impressive thing for me during the Doom presentation, because, I mean, if you've ever played Doom, actually, it, that doesn't matter. If you've ever played a fucking first-person shooter that involves space marines and fucking monsters, there's not a lot that's going to surprise you here. The brutality and some of the cool finishers and stuff are awesome, but the thing for me that got my attention was SnapMap, which is their system for creating user-generated content, user-generated levels. I mean, I'm talking physically building levels, placing props and traps and things, enemies throughout them, talking about coming up with game logic, like what are the conditions of playing the game? Is it like four-on-four deathmatch? Is it is it a, a horde mode where you have to kill enemies in order to earn credits and and get more ammo or bigger guns or whatever. All of that stuff that that they showed off that people are going to be able to utilize in order to create stuff for Doom and then share it with everyone else, that is what really impressed me in that presentation. Yeah, I have to say, Brent, I was a little underwhelmed by Doom, and I'll tell you why. So I'm not a Doom player from the beginning, and I don't remember... Doom one or two, but I remember Doom three very very well. Yeah, uh, and I love, I absolutely loved Doom three. Um, but what I liked the most about Doom three was that it was frightening. I mean, it was one of the most frightening games I've ever played in a creepy way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not get that sense at all from the single player demo that we saw. It did not seem frightening. Uh, it, the tension know, was that, absent. That, for that me. part where he's using like the echo device and you're you're seeing like that giant monster. That one, that, that, yeah, that but that was ten seconds of what, and you weren't in danger. Uh, but I, I thought that they, I thought that there were points that they did create some very palpable tension. Oh, see, I didn't sense any tension at all, and that's that's what I really loved. Them. I mean, I literally Doom is one of the few games I've literally pushed my chair away from the desk and gotten up because I was so freaked out by the tension that it's it, it to me is what Dead Space based itself off of yeah. when it, when they created the original Dead Space, and that's what I love about the Doom games. And this one just felt like a shoot 'em up uh, uh, game, which is not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong, like. They did, but this uh, is also I, one level. I mean, that's not to say there's no, not going to no, be other absolutely. levels that really, really do focus. Absolutely, on that. and I am not giving up on Doom because I'm hoping it's going to be more creepy, and I want to see it be that way. I'm not giving up on it. It just wasn't in this trailer, and so I would have liked to have seen more of the tension type gameplay. I'm hoping that it's in there. Um, I do agree with you. The uh, the um, uh, snap, snap map snap map. Uh, is fantastic. The I thought the you know the modes like changing the modes looked super uninteresting to me, um, but being able to build your own maps and the map editor I think is very cool. And I just don't think that the examples they picked uh, in the game mode creation were super, very interesting. But the uh, the public at large is always better at creating stuff like that. And I love uh, that games are trending towards. Uh, putting map editors, and we'll talk about Fallout 4 in a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, just the uh, the ability to create map editors and create and share worlds, I think, is is absolutely fantastic, and I think it's a very cool aspect to Doom. Yeah, well, and uh, I think that was a pr- that was definitely something that Bethesda was trying to get across. It's certainly something they value in their games, 
and uh, they talked about Bethesda.net, which is a new platform for gamers to interact, to share content. They didn't, they, they really didn't talk about a lot of details. They just talked about it in the broad strokes. But the fact that, you know, Bethesda is launching their own service specifically around gamers, their content, mods, and things like that, uh, I anticipate that. Uh, that's going to be that's going to be pretty interesting to see, but I do think it's emblematic of what you're talking about. It just seems Bethesda has a philosophy about user generated content. They really embrace it. They really want to curate that, and I, I think it's a smart idea to 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 see if they they can do that uh, themselves in an effective manner. Yeah, I, I wasn't very pleased with that, honestly, Brandon. I, I'm kind of over the game companies making their own uh, uh, platforms like that, you know, the, the, between battle.net and origins and, uh, and you play and now Bethesda dot, like, I just, I'm getting sick of that. Honestly, uh, I, I find it annoying. There's nothing I can do about it, but I just, I really, I watched that and I was like, why, why, why do game companies think we need a, a specific platform, a separate username and password for every one of their, th- you know, I, I just, it's uh, whatever. I, I find that annoying. Honestly, I do. Something that uh, that may be interesting about that, and I, I don't have the story in, for, in front of me, but I think I saw a headline uh, today that says that uh, user generated content or or mods, you know, for Fallout Four, I think, are going to be compatible with and available on Xbox One. So that's kind of an interesting that's that's an interesting development, and I don't know if that is I don't know if that's necessarily being what do you, what enabled. Do you, mean? you mean mods created on the PC? I, I'm talking. I'm talking about mods created on the PC for Fallout 4, working on yeah. Xbox One, and I don't yeah. know if that's being enabled by this Bethesda.net platform or not. But I'm I'm just saying that that's an interesting mm. development that My, uh, uh, I want to find maybe. out some more details. That could on. be a Windows 10 thing. Uh, yeah, possible. It's possible. It is, but it's still. I mean, you know, the fact that if you're a console player and you have access to the incredible wealth of of mods that uh, that PC gamers have access to, that's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's that's definitely. Uh, that's definitely something that would get my attention if I were an Xbox One owner. Yeah, it is definitely interesting. Uh, let's move on. Dishonored Two, to the surprise of no one, given the fact that they accidentally they accidentally leaked uh, audio of them rehearsing the Dishonored Two reveal at the press event. Uh, I guess the the night before, uh, accidentally went out on a live mic over Twitch. But uh, Dishonored Two was in fact announced. At uh, Bethesda's press event, we've got a reveal trailer uh, that shows off the the main character of the game is now. Well, you'll have the you'll have the the option. You can either play as Emily or you can play as Corvo from the first game. Uh, it's going to be coming out in spring 2016. We also now know that Dishonored is going to get a remake for PS4 and Xbox One. Lauren, I. I really try to get into the first Dishonored game, and that's not to say that I still might not at some point. Uh, Daniel loved this game. He talked about it. As a matter of fact, Daniel was over at my place uh, last week with his kids, and uh, we were talking about Dishonored, and he was saying that he was very interested to see if they had announced Dishonored 2. But um, I was never able to quite get into this game, but I, I do want to kind of give it another look because there's just so many things about the the aesthetic and the design sensibilities, the fact that it's a stealth-based game, that really ought to appeal to me, and I'm not sure why I didn't quite get into that first game. What, what, what do you think about uh, Dishonored 2 based on your experience? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I didn't get into Dishonored either, and I actually went back and tried to play it again, and I, I, I felt it was a little better, but I still just wasn't into it. The world is not compelling to me. Yeah, uh, th- this, is, this is 
totally uninteresting to me. I have zero interest in playing Dishonored two. Maybe this was not an in this was you know maybe an in engine trailer, but not an in game trailer. And uh, uh, maybe if I see some actual gameplay, I might change my mind. But this there was nothing about this this trailer that looked interesting to me. I have to say that I did I did get a little bit more interested in going back to the first game after watching this trailer. I thought, man, it looks kind of cool. I really ought to go back and try to play that. So I guess it did rouse a little bit more interest in me. Uh, next up, filed under the This'll Do Until CD Projekt Releases Standalone Gwent. Elder Scrolls Legacy, which is a strategy card game, was announced, and we saw a brief teaser for it. They did not show off any gameplay. They didn't talk about mechanics. We know next to nothing at this point, unless they're releasing information as I'm saying this, which those bastards probably are. They always do that. Anyway, but uh, Elder Scrolls Legends is, in fact, a strategy card game that's going to be coming out for PC and iPad, I believe, later this year. Yeah, all I have to say about this is it's not Gwent. It's not Gwent. It really is. I just isn't. want Gwent. I want Gwent. I do, just give I do me too. Gwent. Did you see somebody did a mod for, uh, what is it, uh, table, Tabletop Simulator? There's, there's, some, there's some, uh, some game on Steam. I just, I just saw the headline. I didn't, get, I didn't get a chance to read it. But somebody has made like a quasi-standalone Gwent on like a, I don't know, like a tabletop game simulator on Steam. Uh, again, not, not actual, actual Gwent, but pretty damn close. The, I can't believe the CD Projekt doesn't have this in the pipeline already. I mean, the demand for it is so intense. They got they they have to have known that they really had something there. They they got to be working on this. I hope to shit that they are. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's move on and talk about uh, Fallout Four, which was of course uh, the big thing that everybody was looking. You know, they announced this last week, but of course we got a big demo and they announced a lot of stuff. I seem to remember saying. Well, gee, haven't you kind of blown your load? I mean, you know, you announced Fallout 4. I mean, what are you going to show off at your press conference? But they actually had a lot to show off at this press conference in relation to Fallout 4. We got a demo for the game. They talked about, they confirmed that the setting is, in fact, Boston, that the story is going to take place actually before the bombs drop. And so you see, you see a little bit of life prior to going into the vault. And then, of course, you as the main character emerge as the sole survivor from Vault 111. And are left to are left to uh, to pick up the story from there and uh, travel through this this bombed out post apocalyptic version of Boston. Um, talk about the demo just a little bit. Male or female characters, a lot of uh, customization options. Of course, uh, they showed off the mechanics of interacting with the dog, which uh, which we we did see that in the trailer. Uh, we see some we see some gameplay. We see some shooty shooty blow up montages. Uh, a lot of cool stuff there, but kind of similar to the Doom thing. Again, for me, the real standout thing as far as gameplay was the crafting and base building. That looked absolutely amazing to me. Yeah, I thought that was super interesting as well. I, I, I agree with you 100%, Brent, that I was like, yeah, okay, so we've seen Fallout 4. We have not seen Fallout 4 in its entirety. Um, the, the, so the thing that stood out for me, Brent, out of all of this, was the Pip-Boy. Dude, that was that moment where, where Todd Howard is setting that up, and he, he's, talking about, he's talking about companion apps, or normally, like, stupid gimmicks. But he goes, as far as stupid gimmicks go, this is the best fucking one I've ever seen. And, That's and for right. those who might not already know, tell them what we're talking about, because it is fucking awesome. 
It, it is incredible. So, the, so <laughs> Todd Howard revealed that the collector's edition of uh, of Fallout Four will include an actual working Pip Boy that you can you open up, you put your phone into it, and there's a there's a Pip Boy second screen companion app that will work on your phone without the Pip Boy itself. Yep. Um, but you can insert your pit phone into the Pip Boy, and it it will work. And you put it. It's, you can put it on your wrist. It looks like the Pip Boy in the game. And it works like the Pip Boy in the game, and it looks dope, dude. I, I mean, like honestly, this is one of the few times, and I'm not even like into the Fallout series, but I was like, I probably need to get that. That looks awesome. What a great idea! What a great idea! And he reveal, I mean, like the reveal for it was just perfect. Like he shows, well, we made an actual Pip Boy, and you see the thing like sitting on a display case. You're like, oh wow, look, it's an actual Pip Boy. That's amazing. So, and you know, but of course. They would really only be cool if you could say, open it up and put your phone inside it. And you're like, no, no. And then, of course, if we made a companion app for your phone that made it actually work like the Pip-Boy in the game, and in fact is the companion app so you can use this instead of the Pip-Boy in the game, it blew my mind. It blew my mind. I'm just like, man, that is so well thought out. What a great exploit of the companion app paradigm. And the normal useless junk they give you with the collector's edition, again, knocked it out of the park. I, that They really had me with that. I, I, like I, said, the only, I don't even know if I want Fallout 4, but I'll buy it just for this goddamn phone The holder. only thing I would say, Brent, about that is, is, and I said this to you before the show, I wish that the, the Pip-Boy yeah. had, had the app just built into it with onboard electronics, only because, for the sake of longevity, because 10 years from now, the form factors of the phones change or whatever, and you don't have one of those phones, uh, and it's and your Pip Boy is now doesn't have the the electronic in in, in electronics in it. And I th- I don't know I don't know what it uses, so I don't know if that's a, like a ridiculous thing to say that they could build the electronics into it just to run this one app. I think it'd be I think it'd be prohibitively expensive, and and it might it, it very well might. But that's the one thing is that like five years from now, the statue on your shelf is a statue. This will be essentially a statue. The electronics won't work anymore because you won't have a phone to be in to go in there and if you do you're certainly not going to like keep the charger and take your phone out and charge it to play the pip boy you know what i mean like but i still i still think it is i don't super, think that's a, i don't think it's a good enough reason to not get it i'm sorry i still think it's super cool don't get me wrong very cool to go back to what you were saying earlier yeah um <clears throat> the crafting and building in the world uh the crafting and base building is also super super interesting and super oh, cool man. i think it's going to allow for a lot of real personalization within uh, Fallout 4. And I definitely, I haven't watched the whole demo of the gameplay. I'm going to go back and watch it when we're done recording. But um, I definitely what I saw today makes Fallout 4 more compelling and more interesting to me. I knew, I yeah. knew there would be more out there to make it more interesting, and this has done it. I'm excited to continue to see more about Fallout uh, and, and uh, see if it, if it catches my fancy. Also, Brent, obviously, uh, they, they announced the release date. They did November this year. They're yeah, like, "Hey, you not, want some Fallout? Boom! You're getting some there's Fallout. Some fallout. <laughs> there's your Fallout right there." One thing that I just want to say real fast on on the crafting system. I I've been when I was playing Skyrim uh, in the not too distant past. Towards the end of my really intense gameplay with it, I really got into crafting. I really got into forging swords and armor and, and things like that using the uh, the system in Skyrim. And you and I were talking recently about the, the whole scavenging mechanic and the way that you do things in The Last of Us where you have to pick up raw materials to build, you know, like, like nail bombs and things like that. But I have to tell you that just what they briefly showed off with the crafting in this game, the way that 
They show off as an example of rifle scope. And if you want to build this rifle scope, you need these raw materials. You need adhesive, you need glass, you need screws, and you need metal. And from the thousands of items scattered through the world, anything that has, you know, the right kind of metal in it, well, you can use that. There could be, there could be five, six, you know, six things that you could grab and get the metal from. There could be five or six things that you could scavenge the screws from. And I think that's like a really, really great way to approach the crafting system. I really, really like the logic of how that works. And I'm, I'm very, very interested in that. Like I said, I, I'm not necessarily interested in Fallout as a franchise, but the game mechanics that they show Fallout 4 having, I'm a big fan of those. And it really put the game on the, like those kinds of things put the game on the, my radar in a big way. Yeah, it, it it looks awesome, man. I don't disagree with you, as does, and here's what we were getting to <laughs> a little earlier, and I'm a little pissed off that you're playing it. <laughs> Fallout Shelter. Oh, that, that, how, how, how much more can you drop the mic than, oh, by the way, here's a sick um, mobile game that we've basically been working on for seven, seven or eight years, and uh, here it is, and oh, by, it's free, and it's available right now. Boom. Todd Howard knows how to drop the mic. Like That's Jack, true. Jack Tritton, like he struggled with it. Uh, and, and, you know, when Jeff Keeley gave him the opportunity, Todd Howard knows how to drop a motherfucking mic. Uh, honestly, this was this was actually, I think, one of the coolest things they did because they sort of they tacked this on after they talked about the the actual Pit Boy in the uh, in the collector's edition or the Pit Boy edition, excuse me. Uh, and they were talking about obviously the companion app on iOS and Android, and they're like, "Oh, you know, speaking of iOS stuff or, or you know mobile games, they were talking about how when the iPhone came out, they they really got into it and they played games on it, and they were always sort of talking about what kind of game could we do on that device, and they had an idea for a game." that would be perfect on that form factor and would be no better anywhere else, which I thought was kind of a good criteria for what they were going to do. And then they show off Fallout Shelter, which is, like, as you pointed out, it's, it's similar in, in, the sense, in a sense to uh, this War of Mine. This War of Mine, yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's, there, they, they talk about other games, other base builder games. Certainly, if you look at it, it looks a lot like uh, the base builder component of XCOM, Enemy Unknown. They mentioned a couple of other influences on it, but it is exactly what you think it is. It's basically you are the overseer of a vault, and you have to manage the residents of your vault. You have to build rooms. You have to gather resources. You have to send people out into the wasteland to get resources and bring them back, level up characters. People can have babies and increase the population of the vault, on and on and on. It's It's got so many cool things going on and they're showing this off i'm like man that looks awesome that looks really really fun and they get to the end and they're like oh yeah by the way it's free and it's available as soon as this press conference is over okay now let's go back to the fallout 4 demo i'm like what so i immediately went and downloaded this and i've been playing it all day today on my ipad it's fantastic it looks great it it's really, really fun. There's plenty of funny, uh, like all of that kind of sense of humor and stuff that the Fallout series is known for is there. Dude, I love it. I cannot wait for this thing to come out on Android so you can play it. It is awesome. Did they say when it's coming out on Android? No, they, they didn't. But I mean, just, and they haven't said that it is coming out on Android, but I can't believe it's not. I, I would like to believe that it is. Uh, yeah. So other than the fact that I can't play it. <laughs> Sorry about uh, that. I think it's I think it's super cool. Yeah, Bethesda definitely knocked it out of the park. I'm going to go back and watch some more of their uh, their press conference. We have a lot of press conferences coming up to discuss as well. Oh, with yeah. A lot of 
uh, fantastic information. So, Brent, I think we're going to wrap it up here for now. Yep. Uh, we're, we're not going to do the road section. We're just we're, This is obviously some Specialty 3 stuff. As Brent alluded to, we're going to try and record a show uh, probably Wednesday night. Maybe Thursday. We're going to do the best we can, uh, but I th- hopefully we'll have a show out for you by Wednesday night or Thursday talking about the rest of the press conferences that occurred on Monday, Tuesday, Monday and Tuesday, and maybe into Wednesday, depending on where you live. So with that, Brent, I think uh, we're just going to invite our listeners, please uh, feel free to jump in and talk about any of the stuff we talked about, the Bethesda showcase today with Doom and Dishonored 2 and Fallout 4, uh, the Oculus press event, another huge one where they announced the uh, the new Oculus Touch, as well as the Oculus Rift consumer version, and then any of the stuff we talked about early on at the top of the show, YouTube gaming uh, taking on Twitch, or the continued development of Last Guardian. Maybe by the time you hear this, we will have heard something about that, uh, as well as some of what Nintendo has done, although we do have the Nintendo Digital event uh, coming up. In the morning, to, I think. On, in the morning, I believe, as yeah, well. Yeah, it's on yeah, Tuesday. So, so chime in and let us know what you think on our subjects. Up to this point, we will discuss more of E3 later on in this week. And until then, don't forget that you don't stop playing because you get old. You get old because you stop playing. <laughs> <laughs>